Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. It's wonderful to see you. It's wonderful to worship with you. So great to see a lot of new faces here this evening, friends and family, people visiting. Uh, I'm, as I mentioned before, Father Morgan Reed. I'm the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. It's a very Anglican term for just I'm the senior pastor. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm thrilled to have you with us this evening uh, to worship our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, I want to look at three surprises tonight from St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, which we just read. Three surprises so that you might be drawn into wonder. Uh, an adoration at the incarnation. I want to reimagine what can feel like a really familiar story because it's this in this story where we discover what God has done in the incarnation and what he wants to do in us. The story begins with Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus had made a decree throughout the Roman Empire that all the people should be registered. And, and Caesar Augustus, whose original name was actually Octavius, was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And after Julius Caesar's death, the Roman Senate had declared Julius Caesar to be a divine. Octavius defeated all of his political rivals, and he was declared emperor. And then he was given this title, Caesar Augustus. It was during his reign that he came to be known by many throughout the Roman Empire as a son of God. We even have uh, inscriptions that call him the savior of the world. He was seen as a rebuilder. He was seen as a savior of the empire. Even the, the builder of a new Rome. And so it's a bit of surprising irony then that we find the story of Jesus' birth beginning with Caesar Augustus. The supposed son of God and savior of the world calling the world to be registered. It's ironic because it's by this request that Jesus is brought to the royal city of David. Joseph brings them to Bethlehem. And that city of David, uh, which is also what it's called, it had a lot of messianic expectation around it. People expected Christ to come from there since hundreds of years earlier, the book of Micah had given this prophecy, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come for me one who is to rule Israel whose origin is from old, the ancient of days. So there's a lot of expectation around this royal city. The true son of God, the true savior of the world, was traveling to the royal city under the cloak of darkness in the womb of his mother to ultimately defeat the darkness of the world. Rome is going to pass away. Caesar's dominion will ultimately be no more. Every power of this world is ultimately going to pass away. But the reign of this child, who is the word of God, will last forever. And more importantly, since power will be broken, death's reign will be defeated. Jesus will be king. But first he has to be born. So we read in verse 7 that Mary gives birth to Jesus. She wraps him in cloths and places him in the manger because there's no guest room for them. In, the ancient, uh, in, in ancient Judah, people's, uh, 
houses often had a family room that was attached to the house in the upper level. They also had a room that was attached. uh, Sorry, that was the guest house. They also had a a room that was attached for their livestock. Um, And this is a culture that, that prizes hospitality. So, and they take it seriously. No one encountering a pregnant woman at night is going to turn her away uh, in this culture. And so Mary and Joseph likely are going to somebody's house that they're familiar with. It's somebody they know. And their expectation is there is going to be a guest room awaiting them. Unfortunately, the guest room had been taken up at the time. So rather than kicking them out into a barn or a cave, the family actually offers to let them stay in the family room with them. Uh, and, and that's where the, the animals feed as well. So she gives birth to this baby boy. And she's surrounded by family and friends. And after he's bundled up, he's set into place where the animals feed because it's soft and warm. It's still connected to the family room, even if off to the side. After all the cleanup that happens from the birthing process, people are settling back into the family room together with a joyful kind of exhaustion that's happened after this safe and healthy birth of a child. Meanwhile, after the birth of Jesus, the camera pans somewhere else. We find a different scene where we're introduced to shepherds who are watching their flocks by night. The shepherds are interrupted in the middle of the night by an angel, a messenger of God who tells them not to be afraid. The angel brings them good news of great joy because for them, there is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. So being a shepherd was not a prized vocation. These were outsiders. They looked down upon many. uh, They were looked down upon by many. And they definitely, shepherds were not anything close to influential. But it's to these people that the angels came. It's to these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. The birth of the Messiah was good news for all people. It was good news for Jews, for Gentiles, and even shepherds. Even you, even me. The shepherds hear that this baby was placed in a manger, and they probably felt surprised. And they felt comforted, actually, at the familiarity of that kind of scenario, since the idea of this baby boy being born in a home and in, uh, in laid in a manger is probably not too far from the reality of what they had experienced in their own households. Caesar has a palace, right? He's, he's visited by dignitaries. Jesus has a borrowed space as a guest and the abode of working class friends, and he's visited by social outcasts. It's willingness and humility that's all that it takes for that household to see the kingdom of heaven born in their living room. Humility and willingness is all that it takes for that family to see the king of heaven born in their living room. Reverend Susan preached this morning for our Advent 4 service and reminded us helpfully of the willingness and the humility of the ever-blessed Virgin Mary to accept the will of God in the Annunciation from Gabriel about this child. Willingness and trust. Willingness to trust God and the humility to see oneself properly in the plan of salvation that God is bringing about are the beginnings of seeing the kingdom of God at work. 
the willing and humble shepherds come and they find Mary and Joseph and the child laying in the manger. They made known to Mary and Joseph all that they had heard about this child. All who heard, uh, who heard what the shepherds were saying in the room, they marveled as well at this child. And Mary treasured all these things in her heart. and She pondered them. And so then the shepherds return and they glorify God. They praise him for all that they had seen and heard. So we have a few descriptions here. Marvel, treasuring and pondering, glorifying and praising. These are the appropriate responses to the work of God. So I think there's an invitation for us in this Christmas season to wonder at the works of God. To wonder at the works of God in the person of Jesus Christ. To marvel, to treasure and ponder, and then to glorify and to praise. To do what the hymn says, I wonder as I wander out under the sky, how Jesus the Savior did come for to die. For poor ordinary people like you and like I, I wonder as I wander out under the sky. With a willingness to trust God and the humility to see ourselves rightly in God's story, let's wonder at this child who was born in David's royal city. In humility, he learned obedience to the will of the Father. He suffered for us. He died for us. He rose again to break the bonds of sin and death. He ascended on high where he now reigns as king. He reigns right now. And his reign is going to outlast every single earthly kingdom. We who trust him and have been baptized in him, have been born in him, we've been made citizens of this new kingdom. All the political power in this world is a shadow and it will pass away. Let that be an encouragement to you next year. The brokenness of this dark world and the power of your sins and sorrows are not the end of your story. They're a dream to wake up from. They're not a reality to be bound by. Their power is broken in this child. Jesus' birth was the beginning of the process of his enthronement. And Christmas, we have this beautiful 12-day season, this small festal season to take time and to stop and to wonder at where light and life first appeared. The humility of God to come in human form to bring us into eternal life in loving union with God himself. And the willingness of those who accepted and adored the wondrous, mysterious working of God. My prayer for us, this we call Christmas tide, is, is that this Christmas tide would re-enchant our world with wonder and adoration at the love of God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, you have given your only begotten son to take our nature upon him and to be born of a pure virgin. Grant that we who have been born again and made your children by adoption and grace may daily be renewed by your Holy Spirit. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the same spirit be honor and glory now and forever. Amen.